Come on. Just keep going. Keep going. Don't stop now, man. You're doing awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Gee. I, I don't mind if we do that all night long, but I know you're not here for that. This is um, my last session, but it's also a main session or a in-the-season session of your school ministry. Is that right? Yeah. And you guys are wrapping up some identity uh, content. Is this right? Okay. Awesome. So I'm going to throw down a few things on identity. I was thinking um, how... When, I remember when Bill first came to Bethel. I was there six months before him, and uh, so I got the real privilege of being in early when he first came and started crafting his teams, you know. And um, the, the typical system, at least in those days, in those type churches, were, to the, were for the new incoming administration to kind of boot out the old guys and put in their own team. And Bill didn't do that, which I was so grateful because um, we didn't, he knew Bethel because, you know, he used to pastor there as a youth pastor and a worship leader before he was, did you know that? Yeah, so historically, um, Bethel's about 50-something years old now, so if you backtrack 20 years, you'll come to the beginning of when he began to pastor what we know now as Bethel. If you go 17 years before that, you'll come upon a time when he and another gentleman both applied for senior leadership positions at, at Bethel Church. And the other gentleman, Ray Larson, he got the position, and Bill didn't because he was young and the leaders just didn't feel confident in him for whatever reason. And so he then moved off to a little town off to the west called Weaverville. And he stayed in Weaverville, which is a little tiny country town, and really built the team that kind of was imported into Bethel uh, Church over, over seasons. That's where Chris Vallotton and Danny Silk came from and some other guys you probably don't know about. But uh, so, uh, so that's 20 years, minus 20, minus 17. And I believe there's two or three years of a different pastor, and before that, it was Earl Johnson. Earl is Bill's dad. Earl's like the Pope for us. Yeah. We've even got a big picture of him in the hallway, in the main hallway by the coffee shop, uh, so he can watch over the lattes and cappuccinos, you know. <laughs> Earl Johnson was the Pope. And um, so anyway, um, I came along... Uh, right at the end of Ray Larson's administration, he hired me uh, because the church was behind and some finances and just stuff like that. So they decided they needed to upgrade and just kind of officially build an accounting position. And that's, I got that spot. So it was super fun. But then Ray resigned one week later. <laughs> and so it was super scary. And the church was kind of going through a division because when one senior leaves, a uh, senior leader leaves, it really disrupts the sheep, you know, and a lot of folks felt like, well, I want to follow him, which I respect because he was a great teacher and still is a great man. And so he, he, he left and some folks followed him. 
Then another pastor on staff left and started a different church, and some folks followed him. And then about six months later, we, we found Bill, and Bill came, and um, some people didn't really jam with him. He wasn't their tribal leader. You know what I mean? We were getting sifted down to tribes, and they didn't get him. I remember one guy, his name was Rudy. He was our Royal Ranger commander. Do you know what Royal Ranger is? <laughs> so Rudy said, I, I, I never really got Rudy. Rudy is a great man, but I never got Rudy. Rudy and I never really saw eye to eye. Rudy one time said, I, I can't stay here, Steve. I'm, I'm leaving. I was shocked. Why? He says, I can't follow a man that cries all the time. <laughs> Referring to Bill, because Bill would start talking about these things that just move his heart, and he would start choking up. Now, he never sobbed at the podium, but he would tear up and then work. If you've ever seen Bill, he'll, he'll wait a moment, and then he'll keep, you know, and finish his message. And, um, but that just bugged Rudy, which bugged me. I'm thinking, yeah, you do need to go, dude. What's wrong with you? <laughs> How could you not follow this guy? Oh, man, I really love Bill. But I, I remember when he first came uh, and, and started to, the way, the way the church was built, I said this to somebody earlier, I don't remember who, but um, they said that I was talking about how kind of Bethel works on the inside, or at least it worked last 10. So I'm still on the senior team. I still get to go and sit and listen to the, the big guys talk about what's going on and throw out my two cents here and there. But I don't have any responsibility now, which is awesome, because I used to have way too much. <laughs> and I just love going now and just listening and ranting and raving and leaving. This is awesome. I don't know if you fix that or not, but I don't really care, because I'm going to go over here now. So... It's the coolest role ever. I love my life. So, but um, I was telling somebody about how it kind of works on the inside. It's, it's um, pretty tactile. Tactile. Meaning we lay on hands one another sometimes. You know what I mean? It's like grabbing each other and wrestling around. All these big guys and their big opinions, and women, just all these big opinions wrestling against each other. And what does that look like on the inside? And sometimes it looks like bruising and uh, bloody noses and stuff, not literally, but just there can be some rough conversations and stuff, and Danny's message about unpunishable came out of that, I'm sure, culture of honor came out of that, us trying to put language that sounded good about the WWF wrestling match we had every week when we would all get together in our senior team and talk and wrestle about stuff. You see, what happened every week is there was always one of us in the ring with someone else wrestling about something. And it was really fun when it wasn't your turn. <laughs> and just sit back and go, well, let's see how Dan does today. You know, <laughs> let's, see what, let's see what Banny's going to do with that one. And uh, super fun. I love those guys. I remember one time early on, Bill was saying, uh, he was thinking about, oh, and this is, this is kind of how things happened early at Bethel. Bill, would, we would be all sitting around, and everybody's talking except Bill. Bill doesn't talk a lot. He's just sitting there. He's listening, and he's, he's feeding his heart on testimonies. That's that testimony culture thing. Just, oh, that's good. What else is going on? And, um, and, then, and then we'd get to a space where we'd start to kind of process ideas and plans. And he said, um, one day he goes, I wonder what it would be like 
if we could have a, church, a, a school like a thing called Alpha School here. He used to have a thing called Alpha that he went to years ago. And I don't know anything about Alpha, but what it was is much like the model that the School of Ministry at Bethel does, and maybe it's kind of similar here. What this was is he said that he, he did this for a short time, Bill's speaking. He would attend this school, and every week, or maybe it was every month, a new traveling minister would come and share their ideas on some concept about the Bible or about how the kingdom works or whatever. And, and when the first one would come, he would share his perspective, and everyone would be like, including Bill, it's like, oh, that's totally right. That is so right. That is totally gospel right there. And then they would spend the rest of the month working through, doing other activities. And then the next speaker would come in and contradict everything the first one just said. And when he was all done, they would be like, no, that's totally right. This guy's, that guy's junk. This is totally right. And this would go on month after month. Am I, am I speaking to the right group? Where everybody who comes in has a different opinion and you're like, yeah, that first guy was no good at all. That, that dude was jar- garbage. And, um, and, and Bill was commenting at how powerful and effective that is at teaching because that is a different style of teaching. Um, I forget if it was Socrates or Plato or one of those guys, I don't know, some old cat, how they used to theoretically teach through arguments and conversation and kind of conflicting ideas. And as the students, you had a right to battle it out and, you know, hammer out your own opinions. And Bill said, I'd kind of like to see a school happen like that. And so I think that was the school of ministry and how it kind of birthed. Because when Bill would go, I wonder what, I wonder if, and then the team would rally around that and make that if happen. That's kind of what happened, you know. I wonder if we could make a better cup of coffee, Hebrews. (laughs) You know, I wonder if we could have a counseling center, transformation center. I wonder if we could, you know, maybe record our music and see if someone would buy that stuff. Bethel music, Bethel TV, on and on. All these things are popping up. But it was was cool to... um, See, uh, to watch Bill lead in a, in, a, in a way that wasn't threatened by contradicting information. He, he's so comfortable in his own skin. I really admired that. And uh, that became a model. So this is my conversation around identity, is I got to see, I think, probably my first out loud model of somebody who was clean in their identity. Not clean, clear, confident in their identity. You know what I mean? They kind of knew who they were, and it wasn't trying to be anybody else. And uh, I liked that. It was like, what is it about you that's so different? And I think it was that. He just kind of knew who he was. And um, I remember when, he, when we were interviewing him, as a, so this is a church staff, and here comes Bill and Benny, and they come and sit in this big circle. It looked like the Inquisition. And we're all sitting around asking him all these. I wasn't asking. I was, I was the new guy six months in. And I'm just kind of watching, thinking, so how does this work? And they're asking him all these difficult questions like Solomon and the queen from Sheba. You know, they're really going after him, Bill. And they asked him, I remember the first question, how would you like us to address you? And he, Bill says, what do you mean? He says, well, do you want to be called Reverend Johnson or Pastor Johnson? And he said, 
he said, why don't you call me Bill? And, they meant they, and so they said, you mean Pastor Bill or Reverend Bill? And he said, no, just, just Bill. And everyone's like, they're looking at each other. This is an assemblies church. They're all like, can we, can we do that? Can we, you know, let's <laughs> huddle, huddle. Is that, is that legal? How do we do that? I was not raised in any form of normal religious <laughs> practice. So I was like, I like that guy. I like him. He's good. Let's hire him. And uh, so I like that, that identity, that clearness that, it's in, that is in Bill. It's in other people. But um, I think that the, the, the threat of identity, my contribution is, uh, I, I think that I don't have anything new to add to the conversation of identity. I, I think that if, I think you're at the end of your identity season, your sessions on identity, is that right? It's like this is the last week or something like that. So I'm not thinking I'm going to add anything to it, uh, but I think I can, I can throw attention like all those different teachers, I can add attention. I used to think that the kingdom of heaven was like attention like on a guitar string, where there's one end that's fixed and the other end that you tighten, and that tension, you know, there's lots of tensions in the Bible, and it gets tighter and tighter until it comes into tune, and you can play a beautiful song on it, right? I used to think the kingdom was like that. Now I think different. I think that the kingdom, truth, truth, big T, is like a, the head of a drum where you've got like six or eight different positions that all tighten. You know what I'm saying? And they all pull in their respective, those are nuts. They call those nuts. So I get to be one of the nuts tonight that just pull on one side to maybe, maybe tighten the tone, the note on your drum head. Sound good? So I'm going to start with the idea of perfection. I've already said this, but I'll add it once more here. And that's the idea, of the difference between the Greek idea of perfection and the Hebrew idea of perfection. And this is super freeing for me because um, I grew up with not a raging case, but with some flavors of perfectionism in me, an expectation that if... I can be perfect, I could be acceptable and uh, successful or whatever my thing was. Uh, but, but the thing about perfectionism and perfection and being perfect in the Greek mind is that, which is how I was thinking, is that means without flaw. You know, there, there can't be any divot or blemish to my life or my effort my performance, otherwise I fall below perfection, and then I don't qualify. And if I qualify, I'll be third string, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So that was tough. That is tough. That's a tough message. And there's a place for that. So I'm not against that. It's just that when it comes to my identity, I really like shifting my thinking from the Greek idea to the Hebrew idea. And the example I used earlier today, I think, somewhere in the last two days, I used the, the example of, a, of an olive tree. Because I love it because an olive tree is such a weird-shaped tree. If you've ever seen one, they're really a knotted, 
twisted, awkward looking thing. Google olive trees and you see the weirdest looking shapes. And they're healthy trees, they're just not symmetrical. They just don't grow nice and straight. They grow all weird and bent and twisted. And so uh, the, the, that is an image, the, the Greek mind would say that tree's not perfect because it doesn't have symmetry, it's got damaged bark, it's just odd, you know. But a Hebrew mind, their, their idea of perfection is to function as designed. So Greek idea of perfection is to be without flaw. And a Hebrew mind is to function as designed. So this idea of perfectionism has kind of reawakened inside of me, like, oh, I want to be perfect as my Father in Heaven is perfect. Because I think, I think he thinks he's pretty confident in who he is. <laughs> you know, he kind of... He, like, what I admire in Bill is probably a dim reflection of the clarity and authority, authenticity of who God is in himself. And I'm like, oh, I want that. Because I've, I've lived a really, hmm, really confusing life with all these different theories, like the Greek idea of perfection and my idea of being stained and worthless. These are all conversations from earlier in the week, weekend. I won't reopen them here, but just that idea about how busy my head was and how much, how much battling my heart had to do because I had big T's and little T's and, again, referring to something earlier, I had a division in my heart where my soul and my spirit were arguing over different things that they, dif- they both agreed and disagreed with and Whew, busy, man. So I was putting out lots of energy just trying to figure out who Steve was. And this wasn't since I was a little boy. This was all the way up into my adulthood. And I had a lot of success in my adulthood. So I wasn't some dysfunctional uh, hermit trying to figure out how to live in public and not, you know, go postal with people. I was, I was confident. I was happy. I was efficient and effective. I was successful in my business efforts, and um, I found a beautiful wife, and she thought I was beautiful enough to marry me again, marry me back. So we married each other, (laughs) and we had some beautiful babies. My sons have grown into fantastic men. So I had all this external thing, but inside, the inside job was always the busy part. And, and so this is me just conversation around this idea of identity. A big advance took place in my life when I figured out the difference between perfection of the Greek mind and the Hebrew mind, okay? So once I got this, this step forward, I thought, oh, I need to figure out who I am. Who is, who is Steve? I remember the next big step forward happened when I started keeping my rest, my Sabbath, and that was my message this morning. Because until I started to rest, I filled my life, the air, the space in my head and around me, I filled it with noise, with business, with performance, with successes and victories and new assignments, and I was just, I had all, all the tactics built. But um, I just kept busy that way, and so it never really gave me time to stop. And, 
And I could tell, I can tell when somebody hasn't done this well, when they struggle with silence. I hate that. <laughs> Please say something. Make some noise. Yeah, there's, there's this thing about awkward silence that reveals what's going on inside. In fact, now I'm starting to knit together some of my stories today, was it? This morning? No, sometime in my life I shared about God uh, giving me that vision of the hallway and the door that was ajar, and I went through the door, and I knelt down behind the throne that was God's throne. And he kept telling me, actually, he didn't tell, keep telling me, he just kept putting his fingers on my lips. Because in that place, I got so uncomfortable in the silence, I couldn't stand it. I was like, well, surely I can... Pray for my sons, or talk in tongues, or I don't know, recite the Lord's Prayer or something. What are you supposed to do in here? And so I began to make noise, and uh, the noise was called prayer, but it wasn't really, I, 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 it wasn't what he wanted. He, he kept silencing me with his fingers. And he did tell me one time, he spoke very, very, just very few times, but the one time he spoke was, in this place you speak when you're spoken to. In other words, don't fill the air with your noise, just, just be quiet and just sit here and begin to be, period. Well, be what? Be happy? Be, be inspiring? Be meditative? Be petitioning? Be... Warrior, what do I do in here? How, what do you want me to be? Yeah, just, just stop talking and be. Just be. Whew, that was a super tough lesson for me. In fact, I'm still practicing it. Worked on it this morning, as a matter of fact. Sitting in, you know, in my time before the Lord, just, just being. I, I'm a lot better at it now. Um because he taught me some things about motivations. I shared that as well. I shared the three seats of motivation. Remember that? There's three seats of motivation in a man's heart. Now, this is what the Lord taught me, that you have a seat uh, that is fear and love and selfish ambition, and fear divides the two. And we, I, tend to get familiar and seat myself in one or the other two outside chairs, fear and selfish ambition, and I'm just really comfortable out there because that's how I get stuff done. That's how I make my life happen. That's how I keep myself from being afraid. You know, afraid for my kids, afraid for my wife, afraid for our money, afraid for our retirement, afraid for my mother, afraid for the church, afraid for my company. Just all this stuff that I'm afraid for, it comes out, and it sounds and feel, felt, I'll go past tense, felt and sounded like prayer, but it was really just fear noises. 
Yeah, wow. I was like, well, that cut out 80% of my prayer languages. Yeah. And then when he told me about, and it was interesting, he told me that one's the bucket. You see, when I had the vision, I had two things in my hands. I had a bucket in this hand and a broom in that hand. And it took weeks before he told me what they were. And uh, I was desperate to know because this was such a vivid vision but he wouldn't tell me. So every day I'd sit in his presence and wait and nothing would happen. And all I could do is practice being quiet. Really what he was doing was building up my capacity to be exposed to my maker. I had somehow learned how to insulate myself behind Jesus and make sure that God was always between us. Jesus was always between us, between me and God, the Father, you know? I don't know theologically how that works. It's just how it felt for me. So, yeah, yeah. So the bucket is fear. The bucket and the broom is selfish ambition. That was that kind of arranging my life, arranging things. And I'm not a big control freak, but there are some things that I really want and really need. And that, I found out, is usually me on this seat in prayer before the Lord, but, but it's just noises of selfish ambition. My wife has a message. I don't know that... I, she's a pretty smart cat, you know. She's pretty smart, but she's got this message. I don't know that I can go there, but it is an interesting idea. She actually made a message around it. She, she, said, she suggests that maybe uh, these kinds of prayers, the fear prayers and the selfish ambition prayers, don't make it into the throne room. God hears them, but not in that space. She went to Benny Johnson, who's like the Popette, right? And asked the Popette, um, is that possible that God doesn't hear all of our prayers? And Benny laughed and said, I sure hope he doesn't hear all of our prayers. <laughs> and, but that's all she commented on. So I don't, again, I don't know the theology. This is me as a nut pulling on one side of the drum head. It's just maybe these prayers don't get as far. Or maybe they don't end up in the bowl. You know that bowl in heaven of prayer? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just talking about identity and kind of my process. So this first process, perfection. The idea of being perfect, being authentic of who I am. And then the second, this second idea of, I'll just call it, kind of that idea of love, meaning the seat of love, figuring out my motivation and how to be in front of the Father. Be. Yeah. Oops. Identity. Man, that's a big one. See, I think, I think identity, I'm so glad you guys are digging on this stuff, digging around on this stuff, because I think it is the single most attacked area by the devil on the planet. I think it is, because I think that if the body of Christ, if we figure out who we are, we become the unstoppable, irresistible force. And the devil is, he's already in trouble, but when that thing wakes up, when the body of Christ wakes up, what could we do? What, I guess the question is, what can't we do? And so everywhere I go, I find the orphan message is desperately needed. Every country I go, first world, second, and third world, it doesn't seem to matter. They all struggle with the idea of identity. So I'm so glad you guys are doing this. 
Well, this last thing, I'm not going to talk much longer uh, uh, for those of you who are bored. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, uh, I, I can't help myself, but I love to put context to things. Um, and, and what I want to do with this little illustration is show you how identity works relative to all the busy things that you're learning, that you're trying to implement in your life. Uh, a lot of you are older or as old as I am. Some of us have a lot more water under the bridge, so we're just maybe pivoting in our life. Not a hard stop and restart, but more of a pivot, right? But, but life is really busy. I, maybe it's not in Ohio, but in California, it's super busy. You got that? There's just like things going on all the time. And so... Um, in the midst of this experience at Bethel, uh, Bill is now on staff. Uh, I think it was two or three years later, he begins to bring Chris Vallotton into the team. I think it was a couple years after that, he brings Danny Silk into the team. Banning Leapshire, who's Jesus Culture now, he was growing up through the youth and building an amazing thing there. Um, Donna was starting to thrive, Soza was launching, uh, Bethel TV was still a twinkle in someone's eye, but, but Bethel music was starting to happen uh, in small ways, and the, the, the organization was just puffing up, puffing up, and we were, the, there was no end to the demands that literally you, I could have, any, all of us, and most of us did, probably could have stayed there 12 hours Oh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there was endless, endless things to be done. Uh, people to be ministered to, problems to be resolved, things to be built and created. So it's not going to be much different than if it isn't already in your life, where you're headed, it's going to be that way. I, I think the blessing of the Lord is uh, the good part, not the... The blessing of the Lord is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrows to it, right? So I'm not talking about the sorrows. That was this morning's message. That's when we get into toil. I'm just talking about the rich part and where God is adding, and you feel like you're thriving, and how does this environment, with all that it brings, I remember when we realized we had to put in something like a $60,000 water 